Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Here's why you should tune in to today's show. Is Genesis the next domino to fall? We'll analyze reports saying the crypto lender is on the verge of bankruptcy. We'll be joined live by Ian Andrews from Chainalysis and the legal guru at Valkyrie Investment, Drew Hill. I'm Ash Bennington. Santiago Velez is with me today. Great to see you, Santiago. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, I'm sorry you had to join us on such a slow news day. Kidding, of yeah. course. I just can't wait to uh, sit down at the dinner table on Thanksgiving and explain to my family uh, why they should keep buying crypto. It's going to be a tough sell. It's going to be a tough Thanksgiving for lots of folks in the space. By the way, don't forget to subscribe. Real Vision Crypto, it's free. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, like and subscribe and hit the notification bell so you don't miss when we go live. Let's jump into the latest price action. Bitcoin has bounced back from a two-year low hit on Monday. Bitcoin went back above 16000 in the past couple of hours after falling as low as 15600 Bitcoin is currently trading at around 16200 US dollars. Investors remain on tenterhooks regarding the fate of brokerage Genesis. More on that in just a second. Ether is up slightly on a 24-hour basis. That's also after recovering from a fall to it looks like around $1,080 uh, on Monday. ETH is changing hands at around 1000 $130 right now. Santiago, what are your thoughts on this market? You know, it's surprisingly resilient. I would have expected with all of these unwinds, uh, even more legs down and, and to a greater extent, but it's held up pretty well. Um, we're seeing a pretty good decoupling also from equities, sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a bad way. Uh, one thing that a lot of people don't know is that there's a lot of uh, Bitcoin and Ether, uh, all the exchanges, this, this really scared a lot of people to hold their assets in, in their private wallets. Um, and that could mean, you know, a squeeze. So uh, it, it's very interesting. It's more to see. I think that we might have maybe another leg down. Um, and the Fed, of course, will continue to raise rates. So uh, lots of headwinds, but still surprisingly uh, strong. Yeah, you know, Santiago, you really hit it right on the head there. Uh, I would say one man's surprisingly resilient is another man's astonishingly decoupled from news flow. Uh, but to your point, look, as you say, the price has been uh, remarkably range bound during this period of really, really ugly news flow. Let's get right to our top story. There's a lot of media reports making the rounds today that crypto lender Genesis could be about to go bankrupt if it doesn't find more funding and fast. Genesis is part of the digital currency group. That's DCG. That's Barry Silbert shop, a crypto conglomerate that also includes asset manager Grayscale and media outlet Coindesk. Santiago, obviously, this is a big deal. Yeah, you know, contagion is the is the story of the day. Whether that whether that translates to DCG or not remains to be seen. Uh, it's known that they hold their Bitcoin in custody with Coinbase, uh, so it may not even be subject to the same kinds of risks that other firms have seen. Um, but they did also refuse to disclose some critical information. Uh, hopefully, we'll explore more of that today. 
so, you know, I, I know some people who are very interested in the discount um, in some of the grayscale investment products uh, compared to, to spot. Uh, but, you know, we can't we can't also discount the fact that the SEC has yet to uh, approve a spot Bitcoin ETF. Um, and I can't help but feel that that's a part of the part of the issue. Yeah, two incredibly important points there. First, the idea that because there is no Bitcoin ETF, uh, investors who need to get exposure directly through their brokerage account through U.S. equity markets are forced to do it with these closed end fund products. That is obviously a challenge for the space. Uh, but second, also. The broader point that you just bring up about the implications uh, for DCG, uh, the parent company of Genesis, and what that means for the space. Look, we don't know. We don't have a crystal ball. There's been a lot of reporting out there, a lot of speculation, a lot of analysis of that. And I just wanted to go through some of it right now so we can try and unpack a little bit to exactly your point, uh, Santiago. So we know from the reporting that Genesis has been seeking reportedly up to $1 billion in additional capital. I want to take a look uh, here, uh, some reporting from Bloomberg. This is a direct statement that Genesis made to Bloomberg. Quote, we have no plans to file bankruptcy imminently, a representative for Genesis said in an emailed statement. This is an emailed statement to Bloomberg. Quote, our goal is to resolve the current situation consensually without the need for any bankruptcy filing. Genesis continues to have constructive conversations with creditors, a representative for Genesis said in an emailed statement. So we're on pretty firm ground here. There's not a lot of speculation. This is direct from Bloomberg. Uh, here's a little analysis in my interpretation. Uh, what's with that word imminently? What purpose does it serve in the Genesis statement? Uh, I guess we can't read into one word too much, but it's it's a little weird, right? Like I was joking around earlier that if I got a call from Ral saying, listen, Ash, I just need you to know that Real Vision has no plans to fire you imminently. Imminently. I'd be a little freaked out. Uh, Santiago, what do you make of this? Well, uh, you know, this is the same pattern of, you know, don't panic. And obviously that means panic. Uh, and and in, this, in this space, when you don't have proof of reserves and proof of liabilities, uh, you, you, you just leave it subject to the whim of emotions, which is what drives investors. Uh, and unfortunately, without those assurances, people are going to act um, irrationally and out of fear. So uh, not, not the best statement. I, I wouldn't have phrased it that way. Uh, and, you know, we'll probably see... Um, you know, more news coming out soon on that. Yeah, absolutely not the best statement. Uh, I wouldn't have phrased it that way either. Again, we probably can't read too much into one word, but it is certainly interesting. And by the way, to your point, spot on, uh, something that we've been talking about here on Real Vision a great deal, proof of reserves, proof of assets, proof of liabilities. I really believe that this is the future. Lots of folks have been talking about the bad actors in the crypto space, and that's certainly true. We found out uh, that there are bad actors in the crypto space, as if we didn't know that before. Uh, but the reality is the challenge, I think, is the fact that we have these unregulated uh, offshore entities. As you said, there's no way, for example, to get exposure onshore with a Bitcoin uh, or Ethereum ETF uh, product. You go offshore, and then you just don't know uh, what the assets are because they're unregulated. They don't make regular financial statements. Uh, they don't. Uh, they don't produce the same kind of uh, of documentation that publicly held companies do. They're not subject to the same kinds of laws. And of course, there's no lender of last resort. So when they fail, they just fail. By the way, I don't think there should be a lender of last resort. I think that would be a disaster for crypto. Uh, but the point is. This technology uh, has the potential to be the solution itself uh, to precisely your point. But I want to keep going here because uh, there's some more news flow from Quartz, the business and finance publication from last night. Uh, and it's very interesting regarding Genesis. Quote, the largest lender in crypto, 
Genesis Global Capital engaged in the same kind of high-risk lending practices that have brought down similar firms, a court's investigation found. Genesis abruptly halted operations last week, blaming crypto market declines and a crisis of confidence in the industry. It warned potential investors that it could face bankruptcy if it can't raise more capital. So a little background there on what we already know. Once again, Genesis is the largest lender in crypto, according to Quartz News reporting. Uh, it goes on here to compare it to other funds. I'm just going to read this quote. There are the same practices that have already failed other leaders like Celsius, which filed for bankruptcy in July, and trading firms like Alameda Capital, the hedge funds attached to FTX that declared bankruptcy this month. Alameda took loans from Genesis. Alameda took loans from Genesis using FTX's now worthless token as collateral, Reuters reported, uh, though the amount of the debt is still unknown. Boy, that's got to be something uh, that's got to freak you out a little bit uh, if you're watching this space. So they're just out there flat out saying, hey, we see parallels to what's already happened with already bankrupt shops this coming out of, uh, out of courts, as I said. I want to keep going because there's a little bit more here. Quote, in all Quartz's investigation of Genesis uh, Global Capital found, okay, so, so here's what's new and original uh, from Quartz. Quote, Genesis sometimes offered unsecured loans to its clients, which used the borrowed money as a way to raise capital during the crypto bull market without having to sell their holdings. Because the loans were unsecured, meaning they weren't backed by borrowers' assets, Genesis had nothing to collect when risky trades went south in the bear market. It's not clear how much of Genesis's lending was unsecured. It goes on, quote, major risks emerged in Genesis loans that were secured by collateral, which are assets the lender can take from the borrower if the loan goes belly up. That's because Genesis would sometimes lend out its clients collateral to other borrowers instead of keeping the funds locked, a practice known as rehypothecation that is closely regulated in traditional finance after it helped set off the global financial crisis, as, as many of us, of course, remember. So we've got unsecured lending, on the one hand, and then we've got secured lending where the collateral is hypothecated and then rehypothecated again. Boy, this is starting to sound a lot like the global financial crisis, isn't it? And finally, and this is really kind of the, the culmination uh, of everything, taking the, the risks that Genesis was taking in terms of the reporting by courts uh, and summing it up and asking broader questions. Quote, Genesis Global Trading, the parent company of Genesis Global Capital, did not respond to requests for comment on its lending practices. Genesis Trading also operates a crypto trading platform that it says is unaffected by the problems at Genesis and wider tumult in the crypto space. So they're making the point here that Genesis has a lot of lines of business uh, that are not related to lending that we don't know whether or not are affected. And of course, we don't know whether the parent company, uh, DCG Digital Currency Group, uh, is also affected. Santiago, there's just a tremendous amount of information there, secured and unsecured lending, both of which seem pretty shaky. And then the question of whether or not these lending practices within the lending unit at Genesis broadly affect Genesis uh, as, a, as a larger operating entity. I, I know it's a lot, Santiago, but what are your thoughts? Uh, well, first of all, I'd say the dollar is king. Uh, and the reason I say that is many of these loans are dollar denominated. But the collateral is in a digital asset, whether it's a Bitcoin or a, an exchange token. And the problem is that when you have an asset that drops 90% in value in a bear market, all of that collateralization is gone, right? The margin is gone. Uh, and, and you find yourself underwater very quickly because the, yeah. the debts are dollar denominated. So, uh, you know, that's, that's the first problem in, in terms of crypto lending writ large. Uh, but, you know, yeah. on top of that is the lack of transparency and the lack of firewalls between what... Uh, these firms can and cannot do with their clients' funds and to whom they uh, they lend to. So um, th there's a lot of there's a host of litany of problems here. 
Yeah, so so much, absolutely. So secured lending and unsecured lending, secured lending that's been rehypothecated, and guess what? The value of the asset in some cases has declined ninety percent. And look, this gets right into the the core comments that we were talking about uh, in more broadly here with the space. You know, people call FTX an exchange, but in a weird way, I would never be allowed to exist that way in the traditional finance space. Sure, it's an exchange. It's also a it's also basically a broker dealer. It functions kind of like your your Chuck Schwab or your E Trade account. Uh, and by the way, it's also an investment bank because they're creating uh, and spinning up tokens. And by the way, it's also a hedge fund because they're lending money to this sister company called Alameda. Uh, this would never uh, these would be four separate operating entities in traditional finance because we know uh, that these things have gone wrong uh, in the past. I want to switch gears here a little bit because there's more new news flow coming out last night. Uh, this is going to Axios, uh, which talks about Genesis's parent company, DCG. I think this really stitches the whole story together. Uh, so I'm going to go a little out of order here in the article. Uh, and this is the way, if you know, if you read uh, Axios articles, you know that they're divided into sections. And this is called Why It Matters. Digital Currency Group, or DCG, founded by Barry Silbert in 2015, is among the largest crypto companies, sporting a valuation of $10 billion last year. It holds investments in some 165 companies, from public companies including Coinbase Global to well-known private shops like Ripple and Ledger. So, uh, quote, in other words, a hurt DCG would have industry-wide repercussions. And here's why that's interesting. Uh, quote, this is a section called Threat Level. If Genesis were dealing with insolvency and concerns were to file for bankruptcy, that would imperil digital currency group. It is only speculation. There has been no reporting to suggest this outcome. So, close quote. So they're being very careful here and for obvious reasons because this story uh, is really quite potentially explosive if there are implications back to digital currency group. Again, we don't know that, uh, but there is some reporting that suggests that that may be the case or that's a potentially the case. We have to be very careful in the way we talk about it. Santiago, I mean, huge bombshell, man. Yeah, uh, you know, thank goodness, at least they're a U.S. Uh, domiciled uh, institution. Uh, so in theory, they should be governed by our, our laws here and there should be more protections for investors uh, and requirements uh, that they have to meet to ensure that um, they're, they're going to remain solvent. They're going to have those proper firewalls between themselves and, and Genesis. So um, I, I'm not as concerned as I as I was with some of the offshore uh, uh, firms, uh, but still, it, it could it could spread that contagion and, and it could mean a um, a very big impact to the industry. You know, we're, it seems to me that we're we're uh, we have to relearn everything in the crypto space that the traditional financial markets already learned and already built in controls, and yeah. that's unfortunate. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and and this this sort of rebuilding from a white sheet of paper, blank sheet of paper, is kind of the power of crypto. It's its glory, but it's also its risk, and uh, it's also its potential challenges. We see, uh, as you say, Santiago, when we relearn those same lessons. And then there's this from the Wall Street Journal. Cryptocurrency firm Genesis Global is still trying to raise cash. We know this already, but here's the new information. The lender has approached crypto exchange Binance for an investment and to bid for its loan book, according to people familiar with the matter. And here it is. Here's the quote. 
Binance decided not to invest, fearful that some of Genesis's business could create a conflict of interest down the line. According to one of the people familiar with the matter, the company also approached private equity giant Apollo Global. But the bottom line here is they also approached uh, Apollo Global. Global. Uh, so, so translation, no dice from Binance uh, when it comes to buying uh, a piece of the business over there uh, at Genesis. What do you make of it? Well, you know, if you're on Twitter, uh, you know, getting the rejection letter from Binance is the kiss of death. At least it was for FTX. It was kind of the right. the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, in this case, though, I'm not so sure that, that that's going to mean the same thing. But it certainly is not a vote of confidence uh, from CZ. Uh, you know, we'll see if they're able to, to bail themselves out here. Uh, but again, this is the private markets uh, having to step in and take care of, of, of bad management. Uh, versus, you know, the systemic risk that we had in 08. So I, I think this this could end up still uh, very badly for, for Genesis. Yeah, so look, he, he, here's the deal, right? You're absolutely right. You can't overgeneralize from what's already happened. Uh, but the bottom line is that it's important to make that uh, framework because that is a bit of the past and, and uh, we hope it doesn't uh, inform the future. But look, that's what happened. Look, I want to jump to this. I think this is the culmination of everything we've been talking about here. Uh, Grayscale uh, is also owned by DCG, Digital Currency Group. This is another operating entity uh, within Digital Currency Group. Uh, and I want to talk about their GBTC product. Uh, this is the, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. It's absolutely massive, as you can see there uh, on the screen. Uh, $10 billion of assets under management. You can see that their total return is over 10,000% since the inception. Obviously, uh, these guys bought in early to Bitcoin, uh, but off 73% on the trailing 12 months, a 73% decline trailing 12 months. Uh, that's just massive. I want to show two charts here that are really just at the core of everything that we've been talking about. First, the discount of NAV, that's net asset value of GBTC, year to date this is 12 month trailing look at that chart it's incredibly ugly uh you see there it's now basically off 42 percent down 42 percent year to date it had been down 45 percent year to date yesterday you can see that slight uh improvement uh in price over the last uh i want to know call it 12 hours and then i want to show a second chart here uh this is gbtc since inception this is the max what you can see on this chart which is really interesting uh, is that flip back in 2017 when there was really no way for folks uh for example institutional investors to get exposure to bitcoin or people who were concerned about custody issues lots of folks piled into the grayscale bitcoin trust trade uh, on the long end and it was it was up over 100 percent premium premium uh to net asset value this is uh this is an extraordinary extraordinary flip from 100 percent uh from 100 percent of the uh premium down to a 45 percent discount uh you know look let's talk about the size of this because i think it's important again we don't really know uh what the contingencies are we don't really know how closely connected Genesis, uh, Grayscale, GBTC, DCG, how connected all of these operating entities are. But we can talk about the scale of this. So if you take that net asset value of $10 billion and you divide it uh, by the price, 16200 right now, that's over 600,000 Bitcoin, unless my back of the envelope math is off. Uh, CNBC reported in May of this year, 2022, uh, that GBTC, uh, Grayscale, uh, Digital Currency Group, however you want to frame it, uh, if you follow the chain up, owns over 3% of the world's existing Bitcoin. Santiago, how do you think about that scale? I think everything up to this point uh, has been largely confined to the crypto space, but GBTC has one of those 
properties where people can hold it in their 401k here in the US. Um, and so that could see that contagion spread over. Uh, and then I think uh, there'll be a, a strong political response. So hopefully this will be an inflection point where if you're a savvy investor and, and uh, Grayscale turns out to be managing assets well, this is an opportunity. It's at a significant discount. Uh, but if it turns out they're not, uh, this could be a huge risk and a, and a, and a spillover uh, effect. Yeah, uh, very well said. And that's certainly the risk. And that's what we're going to be watching here. Okay, with that said, let's bring in our guest. Ian Andrews is the Chief Marketing Officer at Chainalysis. We're also joined by Drew Hill, General Counsel at Valkyrie Investments. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Excited to be here. Santiago, I'll let you take it away from here. Great. Uh, and, you know, I'd love to start with you, Ian, uh, at Chain Analysis, firm specializing in deep chain analytics. Uh, can you, what can you tell us about, um, you know, how how transparent or, or on-chain activity there is that could give us or shed some light on all of these events? Can we see what's happening under the hood? Well, we actually published some data uh, late last week, an update that went out on social media channels over the weekend. You know, post-FTX fallout, we've seen uh, some couple interesting points of behavior. One obviously folks have lost trust in centralized exchanges there's been a large amount of movement from exchanges into personal wallets and that's counter to past incidents of of uh kind of situations like this in the crypto ecosystem where usually there's a rush to safety onto exchanges and often an exit uh from crypto back into fiat we're we're actually not seeing that behavior uh yet in the data the other interesting point that we've seen is an uptick in volume on decentralized platforms. Uh, and so there, there's quite a lot of volatility, obviously, in the market, as your chart showed earlier. And we're, we're seeing traders taking advantage of, of that uh, intraday movement. Um, transaction volumes are up quite a bit on DEXs. Well, so given that, uh, assuming that uh, much much of this transaction volume is on, say, an Ethereum DEX, it must be a representation of, say, Bitcoin uh, that a counterparty must hold. So uh, is it a fair statement to say that people are uh, trading one counterparty risk for another? Or, or would you say that people are just saying, look, we, we lost confidence in some of the large uh, exchange providers and we prefer to use uh, these representations on chain? I actually think that the two are somewhat uncorrelated, right? If you think about how people use centralized exchanges today, your average retail investor, probably not deeply technically savvy in the, the underlying technology of crypto, uh, they're probably less likely to jump straight to a decentralized exchange platform, which requires a, a level of technical knowledge, both of crypto and of trading. So I think we have one pattern of activity, which is your average retail user flight to safety, where safe is now my personal crypto wallet, you know, as a browser extension or maybe a hardware device. Um, and then separately, we have professional traders, institutional money, increasing their activity corresponding to uh, the market volatility, where we've got arbitrage trades happening. Um, we haven't we haven't yet observed any particular uh, you know, trade off of Bitcoin onto ETH or the reverse yet, uh, but we're certainly looking at the data. And I guess throughout all this activity, you know, Big Brother's watching. The U.S. government is very interested in the flows from the various exchanges uh, and will probably use some of this data to facilitate any ongoing investigations. Can you shed any light on 
you know, how the uh, interest from the government has escalated. Yeah, in spirit of full transparency, so uh, the FTX uh, post-bankruptcy declaration, uh, the parties who are administering that have engaged Chainalysis to help uh, manage the the assessment of assets, as well as the the uh, theft that occurred late last week in an attempt to recover uh, stolen funds from that case. So we are involved in both, and and authorities are obviously looking uh, throughout the situation. Um, and and many of those organizations have chain analysis technology that they're using to to attempt to uh, recover some of the stolen funds. Yeah, and I guess that's the, one of the challenges with digital assets and blockchains in general is that they're global, and so they they kind of cross over multiple jurisdictions uh, and, and sometimes multiple chains. Um, so I'd like to turn the conversation over to Drew. Drew, what's your perspective um, as a general counsel in this whole mess? What would you advise, uh, and and what do you think is going to happen um, going forward? Well, uh, first of all, you know, just want to do my legal disclaimer that these are my opinions, not those of Valkyrie Investments. But and also, I can't give legal advice here, as you know. But uh, it, it from my perspective, you guys are really circling on um, the big picture that's important, and I think that. Um, we are seeing the need for uh, prudent, thoughtful regulation around centralized exchanges in the United States. And um, I think part and parcel with that is, um, a, you know, almost a Volcker style rule preventing exchanges from engaging in sort of these egregious affiliate behaviors, hedge funds, lending, rehypothecation, all the things you guys have hit on. I, I would not be surprised to see regulators taking a, a very close look on that and using um, perhaps the rollout of a digital dollar or something else as a regulatory hook to get the exchanges under some regulators umbrella, whether it's Treasury or the SEC. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, no no uh, good crisis goes unwasted. And I, and I think they'll try to push in, hopefully not too heavy handed a regulation, but it's, it's going to come. There's just simply no way around it. How would you um, address the fact that many of these exchanges and these issues are offshore? And, and to what extent would U.S. regulations um, impact that kind of behavior? You know, we'll, we'll still have U.S. citizens using VPNs and trying to get around it. So what are your thoughts there? Yeah, as you know, I mean, pushing pushing things offshore doesn't work in a digital world, right? But, um, you know, the reality is the dollar is king. People need to be in the U.S. banking system. So you know, there's certainly heavy-handed regulation across the world because um, if you get cut out of the U.S. banking system, you're you're effectively dead. Um, so, you know, I think you can see that continue. But in my mind, the critical piece, at least now, is that you know a U.S. exchange, for example, should not have an international affiliate that would allow it to skirt U.S. regulations and and do some of the things that we've seen with FTX, Alameda, and all of the other um, uh, fallout. Yeah, and that seems to be the formula so far is that there's a U.S. variant of the exchange and then an international variant, and they operate in a completely different uh, offerings or rules, but uh, there's a lot of cross-communication, and sometimes there's a lot of assets that flow across those, so there really aren't strict firewalls, uh, and there certainly aren't strict uh, governance and, and board oversights um, that are independent, so it's still deeply problematic. Uh, so I, I agree with you. I think you know the regulations are going to come in and, and draw those lines very clearly. Um, turn it back to you, Ian. What do you think, um, how do you create separation in what is a global uh, uh, assets, right? How, how do you um, provide regulatory frameworks 
um, and then verify that these parties are complying with that? How, how would you even start that process? Well, I, I think there's an interesting point to be made here, which is the asset is global in nature. It trades 24-7 all around the world. A regulatory framework that only applies in the United States without collaboration with international partners is ultimately going to be ineffective in every case. We saw this with FTX, where there's a U.S. subsidiary domiciled in-country, but not isolated effectively from an international party as, as far as we we've seen so far as the, the evidence has come out. And so I actually think the the opposite uh, approach is necessary here, which is collaboration between U.S. regulators, their counterparts all around the world will lead to a more effective approach here. We've seen this work successfully in uh, the context of money laundering. A lot of the efforts led by FATF, which is an international uh, financial action task force, uh, have have led to great outcomes, right? Certainly not perfect, room for improvement, but I think that international coalition is is really what's going to be necessary in the context of technology behind cryptocurrency. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I wanted to jump back in here uh, with some two additional news stories for the panel to talk about. So first, Bloomberg is reporting that U.S. authorities have been investigating FTX for months before it collapsed. Uh, Bloomberg sources say the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York uh, spent several months working on sweeping examination of cryptocurrency platforms with U.S. and offshore arms, and it started poking into FTX's massive exchange operation. Sources say the focus was on compliance with the Bank Secrecy Act uh, that obligates financial institutions to take steps to prevent money laundering and terrorism financing. Uh, also, additionally, we're learning uh, more about the financial situation at FTX, according to documents seen by Coindesk. The company has $1.2 billion in cash reserves. That's far from the $3.1 billion it owes to its top 50 creditors alone. Uh, Santiago, Ian, Drew, lots to talk about here. Uh, people, it seems, uh, have some concerns about the, uh, the availability to meet those debts. Well, I'd love to hear what Drew has to say uh, with regarding the Bank Secrecy Act and the investigation from FDX. Well, I, I mean, it's not surprising at all, given, you know, again, the limited, you know, regulators up till now have sort of been nibbling around the edges. And so they're using the tools that they have in their disposal to uh, to try to get under the hood. But as we saw, I mean, a lot can go on offshore, um, even if, if it's in the, in the auspices of money laundering or terrorist financing. There's only so much you can see, and you know, obviously, the uh, <clears throat> transparency of a blockchain makes tracing, you know, transactions easy. Uh, but you know, for for a regulator, I mean, that that was a natural inroad. But I, I, there's only so much they can do without, I think, a fully fully hatched regulatory framework, whether it's U.S. or 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 international. The fact is, as an industry, I think there was a high degree of trust extended to to FTX. Right, mm -hmm. we. It was not a secret that FTX and Alameda had a close relationship. And so if you're looking at on-chain activity, exchanges between those two entities 
or any of the other subsidiaries across the FTX empire, you could see some of that activity on chain. But the on chain data alone doesn't give necessarily motivation or reason behind the transfer. And so we find ourselves in the situation where a generally trusted party uh, doing something that, that doesn't have an obvious uh, illicit motivation behind it gets overlooked. You combine that with this sort of regulatory uh, arbitrage of offshore domiciled entities or a comp complex organizational structure. I think there were over 130 different subsidiaries in the bankruptcy filing. So you have a lot of complexity about whose job is it to be looking at these things that's unclear. And so back to my earlier point, this is a case where some international collaboration, absolutely necessary to prevent this happening again. Yeah, this is a huge puzzle and there's lots of uh, pieces and they're all moving. And so the problem is how do you get a, a clear picture of what's going on, different regulators, different jurisdictions, on-chain activity, and of course, off-chain activity. We know we now know that a lot of the activity of trades was using assets that they didn't even have in custody. So um, these are all issues that have to be dealt with and, and it's gonna be a long and un unwinding process. So uh, this isn't gonna clear itself up quickly. So this, this will likely be a, a strong headwind. Uh, back to you, Ash. Once again today, another fantastic conversation. Uh, here are my key takeaways. Uh, Ian. Uh, believes that individual investors are fleeing uh, centralized exchanges for the safety of self-custody. DEXs are not a viable alternative for some in the retail space right now. Uh, and also Chainalysis is involved in helping to recover stolen funds from FTX. Uh, Ian, did I get that right? Anything you'd add there? Yeah, you, you nailed it, Ash. Yeah. Uh, from Drew, we're seeing the need for prudent and thoughtful regulation here in the United States. Uh, we need a Volcker rule to separate the activities uh, of exchanges to keep them from operating effectively. Hedge funds, broker dealers, investment banks, uh, all rolled in asset managers, I guess, all rolled into one uh, entity. And I think there's broad agreement from Ian uh, and Drew that we also need more prudent, thoughtful regulation. Drew, does that about sum it up? Anything you'd like to add? Yeah, that sums it up. And I think, you know, the other the, the point you guys make is we have technology tools here. So proof of reserves is great. One one part of the equation. The other part of the equation is liabilities because we can't we can't know if the if an exchange has what it has. And, you know, quite honestly, um, you know, exchanges uh, shouldn't be lending client funds, shouldn't be using client funds. So we need to have assurances that they're not. What a concept, right? Something we've known about uh, for 100 years, I suppose, uh, in the uh, traditional financial space. Here are my key takeaways. I think the most important story right now in terms of knock-on effects uh, from the FTX exchange is what happens with Genesis. Uh, obviously, uh, there's it's impossible to say whether or not it will file for bankruptcy. We know that there's been, uh, that there these meetings are ongoing, that they've sought to raise a great deal of cash. Uh, we also know that the parent company, DCG, uh, owns Grayscale, uh, investments, which is the controlling entity in GBTC, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. What the relationships are between those two companies is unknown. Uh, what would happen uh, to, for example, uh, Grayscale in the event of a bankruptcy uh, at uh, over at, uh, at Genesis, also unknown, and the fate of Genesis unknown. So there are a lot of unknowns here. However, uh, it's fair to say that they are interconnected at some level, uh, and the scale of their ownership in Bitcoin is absolutely massive. Uh, so that's something we're going to watch. Again, we can't draw any firm conclusions here. We've tried to provide the best and most current reporting on this in terms of what's known right now, in terms of the facts. Uh, but right now, uh, we're still waiting to see what unfolds. Next, Santiago, any key takeaways that you have, anything you'd like to leave our audience with? 
I think incentives drives behaviors. Uh, so if we if there's money to be made offshore and through regulatory arbitrage, people will find that uh, that that path. And so I think it's it's incumbent on legislators to draft regulations that uh, you know don't don't try to fit a square peg into a round hole, right? That that it, it looks at this space uniquely and its attributes and and its properties, right? For transparency and drafts meaningful legislation so people feel safe investing in this asset class here in the U.S. domestically. Yeah, obviously some great key takeaways there. I wanted to go to some viewer questions, uh, but before that, please remember to smash the like button on YouTube. Smash everything in front of you. Uh, click subscribe if you can uh, so that you can get the, late, the latest updates from us here at Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Uh, here's a comment from Mr. Woof on YouTube asking, what happens to large mining operations that moved from China if BTC goes to 12,000 and the price of electricity goes up for the winter? Uh, this is obviously a question tangential to what we're talking about, but it's certainly an interesting one. Uh, anyone want to take a stab at that? Capitulation. You know, the largest uh, uh, mining operators, uh, the, the OPEX and CAPEX are entirely dependent on you know the market and forces so th that means if electricity prices go up only the strongest and largest will survive and i think that pattern is going to continue uh and that could mean uh liquidation in the asic uh the hardware uh hash prices going down and bitcoin will find a new equilibrium blocks will keep amending uh be amended on schedule normally uh it's just that the number of players will be reduced yeah uh, DeFi guy on YouTube wants to know thoughts on security of centralized exchanges. Well, I guess we found out after a half billion dollar hack over at FTX uh, that there are some issues, uh, but more generalized thoughts on the security of centralized exchanges, guys. Uh, Ian, my personal, if, if an exchange is not using MPC, multi-party computing, uh, or has a strong uh, cold storage practices, you should be very cautious about leaving your assets for any extended period of time there. Ian, you take a look at a lot of data. Uh, what's your take on security at centralized exchanges more broadly? I I think there is a wide range across the, the ecosystem of both security and trustability. There's definitely some places that, that I personally keep my money. So I, I would not say that uh, everyone should be out there fleeing a centralized exchange, but you know, as the saying goes, you, you've got to do your own research and, and try and ascertain who you're dealing with as well. Yeah. Uh, Santiago, anything to add, Drew? Any final thoughts? Yeah, on that front, yeah, there there is a, a wide spectrum of kind of custody in the space. And I think that's another area that would be um, a, a nice place to look for standards. It's not quite the same to have custody of a digital asset as opposed to custody of a traditional security. So some of the frameworks that we have in traditional finance don't necessarily apply in the same way um, so you really need someone with uh, a technical expertise that um, is different. Yeah. Santiago, jump in. Final word goes to you. Yeah, I, I think Drew nailed it. We need a standard. Uh, if there should be a gold star uh, for uh, custody and, and, and maintaining other people's assets on bearer instruments, which is new and unique uh, as compared to traditional securities, there's no central clearinghouse. So um, if we're going to have all these different parties around the world managing other people's assets, it, there should be a gold standard. Guys, this was an, echo, an epic uh, five-star show uh, here today. I think really one of the great ones that we've done. Lots of breaking news. Uh, Ian, Drew, Santiago, thank all of you for joining us. Incredible, really incredible conversation here today. My pleasure. Thanks again. Thank, thank you. you. That's it for today. Don't forget to subscribe. Real Vision Crypto is free. 
For those of you watching on YouTube, smash everything, the like button, the bell, and subscribe. Join us again tomorrow. Investor Mike Alford and Sam Kessler from Coindesk will be with us live. See you at noon Eastern time, 5 p.m. London, live on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Have a great day, everybody.